Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia. This is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is June 11, 2014. We're four days away from Father's Day, and we also got our World Cup series coming up. This is going to be explosive. It's been a talk on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. Good morning, America. And I hope everyone is ready and they gamed. But with me also, welcome to all on the Bright Side with Technicia and welcome my guest, John Rixie Moore. Now, we all have seen the soaps. We love them. We get into them just like the reality shows. The, I love General Hospital. That's my that's my favorite. But we have all all my children. It's just so much, and then as well, we love all Olympics. But John, he has done it all. He's been through acting. He's been through the Olympics. You name it, he's done it. So, John, welcome to the Bright Side with Technician. It's a pleasure to have such a man who has so many hats on this show today. Well, thank you, Technician. It's nice to be here. Hello? Yes, John, can you hear me? I'm sorry. Yeah, I can hear you now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad you're on the show today, John. It's a pleasure. Well, me too. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. So, John, give us a little bit more detail about your background. How you even started getting into acting? Well, um, that's all I ever wanted to do. I was in all the school plays as I was growing up, and uh, uh, one day uh, after I had was was enjoying a job as a, a long-range planning consultant in Connecticut, uh, I met a guy whose girlfriend was sort of peripherally involved in, um, in the theater, and she had a friend who was a, uh, an agent, and she arranged for me to uh, take the train into uh, New York and interview this agent. And I went in, hope, assuming that the meeting was just for me to find out what steps I might take to get into the business. But the agent thought I was there to request representation. And she had me read something, and then she said, uh, yes, I think you're going to make a lot of money in this business, and I want 10% of it. Let's get started. (laughs) So uh, not much happened for about a year, and then it just sort of took off like a rocket. Right. Well, I mean, you have had an arena of success all doing all during your life, and I commend you on all that, especially getting into soaps. What is it like to be in soap opera, though? Well, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's uh, it's a little scary at first because you're in with a bunch of people who, all of them, of course, have been on the show longer than you have, and I just had to keep my mouth closed and my eyes and ears open. Uh, a soap opera is uh, 
set is a very busy place. They have the sets built on each side of a central aisle, and all the cameras and equipment are in that central aisle. And all the cameras and, and the microphones have cables they drag around. And one of the first things you learn is not to trip over any of the cables. You have right. to learn that uh, it's a technical medium. Uh, if you watch a couple kissing on a soap opera, you've got to realize that the angle of their heads is all calculated so that the person that the camera wants is, is the one that's in the light. Okay. Yeah, all this kind of, it's all very technical and contrived. But, you know, you get pretty good at it after a while if you uh, do your job and learn your lines. There's nothing to do but to stand around and, and respond to the director. Right. Apparently, it seems that we have a call on line, so let me bring call on in. Caller, how are you today? Okay. Obviously, it must have dropped. I hope it wasn't another guest thinking that they had this show time because I always try to make sure that everyone knows their show date before they even get on. So, and, and I, I do, I get caught up into them. The only thing about the soaps, it just, you really don't miss too much. Like, I'll be thinking, like, for instance, I'll be thinking I'm missing so much on General Hospital, and I'll be like, you know what? There's no point in me going back to watch all those shows again because actually, if you just look at where you left off at, you could you could catch up. It don't matter how far back you are. You're like yeah, you know, <laughs> you you okay, you're right about that. Same predicament because on General Hospital, on General Hospital, for instance, Sonny wants to go ahead and take out Eva, 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 whatever I get her name mixed up sometimes, but now she's pregnant, so it's like, I don't have to go back and watch four episodes to know that she's pregnant now, that he want to go ahead and kill her. It just, it, it stays stuck. It's like, it be, so how many scenes are we actually looking at, John, when you're acting in the soap? Well, uh, they, uh, the different storylines are carried through. Uh, there's a through okay. line. There's different writers that work on the different storylines, so you may only be on the show two or three times a week, but your scenes right. may be eventually put together into part, in a major part of one episode. Uh, but the, the, the task for the writers is to finish each day on a dramatic non-event, something that sounds important and is with the music and timing looks important, but uh, you, you can't really advance the story too fast. However, Things happen very fast on a soap opera. You know, people get married and have a child in six months. Right. <laughs> so you, they're playing with uh, with time uh, all the time on these shows. It is. It is. It, it really is. They do. They play with time too much. You feel like, Don, you still on? You still haven't told her the secret yet. I just looked at last week, and we still back at the same part. You can get that. You be like, come on, please hurry up and get to the place. Because I promised John when I was looking at your house, I had been waiting and just waiting for somebody just to catch um to catch Elva. But Elva and Elva, now they finally caught up and caught her and her life and everything. It's like it just takes for Elva the one little scene. You be like, oh my God, can you just right. hurry up and get to this point? That's <laughs> right. It makes you want to it does. It made my my husband in the background talking about she's pregnant. Now look, he got he got me caught up in the soap. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I remember. No, uh, there are a lot of men that watch these shows. You know, they just take a break at lunchtime and tune in for half an hour or so. I used to commute into Manhattan from uh, where I lived out in Connecticut, 
And I always like to ride with my back uh, to the bulkhead in the train car so I could always look down the length of the car. And I remember right. coming home one night. I, I rapped uh, in the studio early enough to catch the commuter train and came out with all the bankers and the businessmen who were headed back out there. And there was one guy who kept who was down the car from me who kept looking at me over his newspaper. And every time I'd look up, he'd jump back down behind the paper. And uh, he got off he got off on a, shot, a stop before mine. So you know how everybody crowds into the aisle on the train car and kind of shuffles slowly to the door. He ended up standing yeah. next to my seat. And I looked up, and he looked down at me, and he said, I know who you are. My wife watches you on television. <laughs> I thought, sure she does, pal. I know who's watching the show. It is. It's amazing, though, the guys do watch it, because I didn't never actually watch soaps. My mother started off watching them when I was in my teens. I was like, I can't get caught up in this, and now my husband watches this. So it does. It gets really interesting. Then when I'm, on, when I'm at work, I be trying to watch it. I be like, yeah, and my coworkers be looking at me like, what are you doing? I'd be like, he probably get ready to kill her. And they'd be looking like, yeah. same way that you love Scandal, I love my General Hospital. I try to keep a wall of these shows, but it's hard. Um, well, that's, what, so that's, John, one of the, that's one of the few that's still on. You know, a lot of them have gone Internet, and some have just uh, folded. Right. Now, John, um, now how did you decide to go with a different entity, which was writing? How did you even get into this? To writing? Yes, sir. Oh, well, I, uh, I was asked to join a writer's group in Los Angeles that, uh, that needed actors. The, the format was that the writers in the group would, would produce writing each week, and then they would give it to one of the actors in the group to get on the stage and to read it, to kind of right. sight read it, cold read it. And after being in this group for several months, I thought, well, maybe I should try my hand at this writing. I always kind of scribbled little things down over the years. I kept a little book and just wrote things as different kind of different word structures would occur to me. And uh, it turned out that it was well received. And then people started asking me more and more about what happened to me in Vietnam. And so I made a concerted effort after a while uh, to try to write down my memories of my experiences there. And that turned okay. into a book. Um, that turned into a book that was up for a Pulitzer last year. Didn't get it, but I got, it got the uh, USA Books Book of the Year Award in the Memoir Division. So I was very pleased about that. And um, I've been, since living out here on the West Coast, I've been um, doctoring screenplays for people, too. That's a oh, technique awesome. in itself. Right, it is. That's awesome. You all had a very exciting journey, John just to do all this within the limited time that we all wish that we can accomplish. But that's one thing about life. It's so much to do, and you have so much time to do it. But just do it when, when you're supposed to. Don't yeah. try to wait too long. Do it, well, do it in the moment when it's there. I, I think you're right about that, and, and I, I think it's, in, it's important to uh, fill your life with all the things that interest you that you possibly can. But I also think that anything really worth doing, is worth doing poorly. <laughs> Just right. do it. <laughs> and you know, John, that brings me to the thought. I was reading on Tyler Perry's Facebook fan page. He was talking about how they gave the memorial service for Maya Angelou. And he he was admired by what Bill Clinton had said, gave all her speeches, her poems and everything, and mm-hmm. how at her 40th birthday, Dr. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King had died. And he was amazed that this woman had accomplished so much at the age of 40. Yeah, and he's only 44, but it's like time waits for no one. And as you said, John, 
when the time comes, do it. Don't sit there and wait. Yeah. Live life to the fullest. You know, it's so much out here that you can do, and it's it's too much just to sit back and holler, my life is boring. If your life is boring, then obviously you're not doing something right. Yeah, if your life is boring, that's your fault. Right. Now, 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 I get, now, I'm always amused when I hear people say things like, well, you know, we were always going to go to Europe, but now we'll do it after the kids are out of school, right. or we'll do it after my husband gets a break, or we'll do it this and that. No, if you want to do it, just find some way to do it now, if you right. possibly can. I was the same way. I was caught up yeah. in that, oh, I can't never go nowhere. I just wait till maybe one day I get a better job, maybe it pays off because I'm not in my career yet, so I just keep waiting. But you know what? One of my coworkers said, life is just too short. Girl, go if go as much as opportunity. So what I do now, John, I try to save up my money and just go. Instead of being in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia, I just came back from Florida, so that was nice. Just yeah. go my do something every summer. Don't Don't be held by that little thing about money all the time. Go and enjoy your life. Yeah. Life life isn't something that starts when you retire. Life's happening right now. Right, and it's happening, and it's going to keep on going, and if you want to keep sitting out, it's just going to keep passing you by. But, John, <laughs> getting, into, getting into your memoir, which I, I definitely love, Quarter Inch from My Heart, that it's, it's a fascinating brain. It draws so much attention to it, and just reading about all that you went through dealing with the issues of race, the HIV, the AIDS, um, how difficult was it to actually put your past into this? Well, uh, uh, emotionally, it was, uh, it was very hard uh, to write the Vietnam book, Hostage of Paradox. I, uh, I, uh, got the, I got the night sweats again when I was going through all that. I got uh, the nightmares that kept me awake, and then I'd go back and reread something and realize I'd gotten it wrong. I had to refine it. The book took mm-hmm. 20 years to write. Uh, at one point, I took a vacation from the book because it was so upsetting to me, and I wrote the second book, Company of Stone, about what I did when, when I came back from the war. I uh, spent a little time on an archaeological dig. I spent a little time in a Scottish monastery, a very interesting order of guys that uh, were all dropouts of one kind or another. And then I left there when the abbot very gently threw me out, and I went to Canada and got a job as a rock drill operator in a big industrial gold mine. And those guys were all dropouts and ex-criminals and strange types, too. So I wrote the second book, which was a lot easier to write, uh, the book called Company of Stone. And then I went back and finished the Vietnam book, even though they were published in reverse order. The Vietnam book was published first, and, the, uh, and Company of Stone came in right after it. Okay. Wow. It, it seems like it's just so difficult to just sit down and do that, but that took a lot of courage to take all your will power to take something from your past and exploit it to others just to get into it. And nobody would never actually know what it's like to go through what you went through, but it's a fascinating that you sharing that with us, that gift. Well, thank you. I, I, tried to, uh, I tried to write it very personally. I wanted this to be a right. real personal uh, account. I, I've read other war books. People are more concerned about the action and, and about the tactics and, and the politics. Uh, my book is about being a person caught up in all of that. Right. I love memoirs. I do. They, they just get you caught up, even if yeah. you don't know. In uh, all things, you might don't know if the person is really probably telling the truth, and I hope they are. But it's just 
just to know that they're printed out there on the line for you. It's just so detailed. Um, so, John, what or who really inspired you to start telling your story or your well, story? Well, that's, 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 that's a good question. I, I don't know that it was anybody in particular, but the people in this writer's group responded so well to my first efforts to describe uh, something that turned out to be one of the chapters in the, in the Vietnam memoir that I uh, – I kept trying to make it better. I kept trying that more memories would come up. I've been suppressing these memories for a long time, and it was sometimes kind of hard to dig them out. But once I sit quietly in my rooms late at night, no distractions, and try to mm. summon these memories, they began to come back in, 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 in detail that even amazed me. And so that as, as I wrote this stuff down, I got more and more encouragement from the writer's group I finally decided I, there's there's no way to stop this now until I've told the whole story. Right. It, so, it just it kind of propels you once you're in that groove, you know. Right. And you got right on in your groove, John. <laughs> so, <laughs> so coming to think about the title, A Quarter Inch From My Heart, where, where did the title, how did you come about that title? Uh, that's not my title. Uh, I had two titles. One is uh, Hostage of Paradox, and okay. uh, the, o- the other is Company of Stone. Uh, Hostage okay. of Paradox came because I felt like I was, I was being held, uh, my future was being held hostage against all these events that were happening all around me. And a paradox is just that everything in Vietnam that was supposed to protect you could also, was also a threat. When you're out in the jungle, you know the jungle can hide you, but it can hide the bad guys, too, just yards away, and they grew up in it. So everything, everything about it, the grenades you carried on your person all the time, they could go off. There was, just, there was just everything I could think of that I was sought kind of protection in was also a threat. So that was the paradox. I was being held hostage by all these conflicting things. Everything had a conflict within it, and that was both the uh, in, the intelligence services I was working for, as well as the equipment itself. And Company oh, and of Stone. Time. Excuse me. Okay. Uh, the second oh, Company of Stone is about the monastery and the gold mine. So I was the monastery was built of stone, and of course the gold mine was digging in in rock. So I that thought that that title was appropriate for that book. And I just wanted to apologize. I did get it mixed up. The quarter inch that'll be for my guest tomorrow. He wrote a memoir as well, so I do apologize to you, John. Oh, that's even okay. though because I, I do have everything in front of me. John wrote two, as he was saying, he did write two great memoirs, and I did have that down. But my mind was on that <laughs> as well. See, see, oh, 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 John. Look, I feel like I'm getting old. I'm only thirty-one. Yeah, I'm already. <laughs> You just got too many Johns. <laughs> well, at least I didn't forget. At least I didn't forget the name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, John, I, I would like to know because most people sometimes always ask, "What is your writing place? Where Where do you get your thoughts out at?" Well, I write at home. Uh, I get okay. my thoughts. I get my thoughts from my life experience, but I, uh, I, I'm not one of these people who can go to Starbucks with all the, all the traffic and the music and the distractions and write. I see people out here in L.A. doing that all the time. They'll go and sit in, 
in a in a Starbucks with all these potential distractions and think they're writing the screenplay of the century. Uh, I really, in my case, I have to have quiet. I have to be alone in my little room and be uh, be working out the sequence of events and searching for the language that best describes what I want to say. Um, okay. There are some people whose powers of concentration are greater than mine, I suppose, but I need the quiet. I know that's right. You have that train, so I'm like that too. I can't think if I hear other noise around me. Yeah, but especially some music. Are able to do that. So, what's next? Do you need any snacks when you write, John, or you just go on into the motion? No, I just go on into it. Sometimes I keep a cup of coffee or something nearby, but uh, there have been times when I've sat here at my desk at midnight and thought, gee, I just got to work out this one sentence, this one paragraph. I just got to get this right. I'll go to bed in a few minutes. And the next thing I know, the sun's coming up. You just, you, your yeah. mind just goes someplace else. You know, you get into right. the reality that you're working on. And uh, it's also true in writing a screenplay. Uh, I've, I've written a screenplay in which uh, I did not know the, 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 the ending when I started. And there would be times when I, I felt like writing, but I didn't know what I was going to say. And I'd sit here and stare at the keyboard, and all of a sudden these characters I had created would begin telling me what they wanted to say next and what they wanted to do. It was almost like I was channeling them, you know what I mean? Right, I do. Yeah, very strange yeah. Uh, and fun. It, it's fun oh, when it's that not... happens. Right, it is. You get, you do, you get caught up, when, especially when it's something you love. And you, your mind just be gone. You be like, really? What time is it? Oh, I didn't <laughs> That's right. You get caught, and it says it can happen. You actually get caught up into doing that. Yeah. Jenna, you think, yeah, although you have done these memoirs, are you thinking about getting back into acting? Oh, I'm still doing it. I uh, did a movie this past year that opened in Richmond, uh, Virginia, just uh, a month ago. That's right. Still a lot of shoes. Uh, Field of Lost Shoes. Yeah, I played the governor yes. of Virginia in 1860. Yes, I met some war drama. Yes, yes. I can't wait. I, I cannot wait to actually see that because I haven't seen any commercials on TV. I'm always looking for uh, the new movies to come on now. I, I, I can't wait to actually see that. Well, it's not a bad it's not a bad movie. The producers did a great job on that movie. They uh, oh, they put okay. together a, a really nice um, depiction of what happened. But uh, I think they have. Uh, Gone back in to do some more editing before they release it for for good. But they wanna they wanna open it in Virginia and take it to uh, Georgia where you are and uh, the Carolinas and see how well it does. Uh, right. A lot of you know the, the there's it's a war it's about the war between the states and there's a lot of sentiment about that as you know still very much alive in the southeast. So they want to see how it does with with them until they roll it out to the rest of the country, which is full of people that don't even remember that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you were a part of the Vietnam War experience. How, yeah. is it different from the, how is it different from the wars of today? Well, that's, a, that's also a good question. I was in the Green Berets, the Special Forces, and uh, I was in a, a, a section of them that was under contract to the CIA to run missions for them. So I was in uh, what what some people have referred to as the secret war. And our okay. rules appeared to be very different. We went into places other people weren't going into for reasons that nobody else knew about. And uh, <clears throat> that was part of the psychological problem for me, too, because when you work 
in a culture of secrecy, you never know what the truth is. You don't even know if the guy giving you your orders knows what the truth is. Why? And that's part of the paradox that's in the title of the book. Uh, you just you, you think you're in good hands, or you're supposed to think you're in good hands, but you never, never know. There's so many other things that could work against you in the directions you're given and the places you go that it it drives you nuts after a while. You can you, I, I learned I learned how important it is for each of us to have some confidence in the short term future. We all kind of mm-hmm. know what we're going to be doing an hour from now. We got plans for the weekend. We kind of know what's coming up tomorrow. But when you're in that kind of situation, you don't know if you're going to be alive in ten minutes. Why? It's very odd. It's a very odd way to live. It is, and I don't think no. I think all war vets out here can imagine it, but I couldn't even imagine it. I, you know, and I try to think of the ones who have fought in the war, and it's it's a shame, you know. Sometimes, just almost like Mother's Day, Father's Day, we celebrate it just on a certain day, but we have to honor these men and who are fighting for our country, regardless of the negative hearing that I'm always used to hearing. Oh, did nobody tell them to do this and that? Mm-hmm. You're right. Nobody did tell them to go over there and do what they're doing to fight for their rights and for their country. But at the same time, you still should show your respect for those who are doing it. Well, these people today, we have an entirely volunteer military now. The people that right. enter in it because they want to be. Uh, when I got it, when I went into the military, I enlisted in order to avoid the draft. Okay. You know, when you get drafted, you don't have any choices. But at least when you okay. enlist, you they they at least tell you you have some choices, and to a limited degree, you you do. But you get a few little privileges when you're in the basic part of the training too. If you have volunteered, there's a there's a code that goes in front of your serial number so that the the cadre, the serving military people, know that you're a volunteer rather than a draftee, and they treat you just a little differently. Okay. I'm glad you did explain that because I was going to ask what was the difference between enlist and draft because I always thought they was the they were the same. And, you know, years back ago, I was working somewhere and said that they were planning on drafting all of us, everyone again. I was like, what? Can they do that? Can they draft I, I, us? I'm, look, I'm getting nervous, John. Like, I got a family. What what, 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 what am I supposed to do? I'm getting nervous because I'm just listening to this from someone else, hand down my own research. I'm like, I don't know how to fight no war and nothing like that because now all my friends are um, enlisting themselves. They're getting, they're going into the Army and everything, and, yeah. and I'm proud of them. You know, I Well, you that. know, it, it can be a very good living. And uh, I met some quality people when I was in the military, I have to say. Uh, I uh, I met some of the finest people I've ever known and uh, some of the luckiest. But it's not something I would have chosen to do had it not been for the draft. i got I got to admit that. I, uh, I went in and did pretty well, but uh, I wouldn't have gone in at all if uh, I hadn't had to put my life on hold, so to speak. When I graduated from the University of Virginia, I couldn't get okay. a job. No, the, no one's going to hire you if the military is going to come and take you away right away. And my right. parents at that time lived in Europe. My father was uh, an international businessman, and they lived in Europe. I couldn't even go home to visit them because when you're rated draft 1A, you can't leave the country. 
So I was kind of stuck, you know. I, I there I was with my fancy degree and nowhere to go. So I had to uh, do something to take some control of my life, and that meant enlisting in the military to at least get that decision made. Right. Now, as far as to go with the movies, um, do the movies make the Green Beret accurate when they do these kind of movies focusing on that? Well, they never get it right, of course, but. They got enough of it right to give people a feeling for for uh, you know what the uniforms look like and and the kind of people that are in it. But uh, no, uh, the, the um, I don't know why the movies out here in Hollywood the movies pay uh, technical advisors a lot of money, but they never listen to them. So okay. it'd be nice to get a nice to get a job as a technical advisor. You don't have to do anything. Right. If you, if what you tell them gets ignored, you might as well just sit in the chair and sip your coffee and tell them anything. <laughs> they do. They need to get someone who actually been through it to actually get it right. Because when you're looking at these movies, you're like, uh, in my mind, I already kind of know that sometimes they tweak it or they don't have the full accuracy of it all when they're doing yeah. movies. They just put it out there, and you'd be like, no, that's. I'm sure some of it's fun. Falsified. Like I would well, love to actually see a movie that's accurate on that. Well, they have movies, are the best ones anyway, tell stories, and stories. You know, life life seldom imitates art, and art has rules. When you're writing a screenplay about actual events, uh, the screenplay is an art form, and if if the events of in in life don't fit the formula for storytelling, then they have to change it or people won't sit through it, won't sit through the movie. And every, uh, the, uh, the sto- a story has a definition. If you look it up in the dictionary, it doesn't say a bunch of stuff that happens. Uh, there is a, it, there's a, a, a way in which a story unfolds, and the best stories are always about a hero's journey. The guy or the, guy or the gal at the start of the story has a problem, they may not know they have a problem, but as soon as they find they got a problem, they got to face it. And there's usually a big battle scene, generally con- in a con- confined space. And at the end, the hero emerges victorious as an enlightened being, or if the hero dies, it's for a greater good. Now that it defines the best spine of a story. And if, if true life didn't follow that pattern, then the movie people have to change it to create what is known as a story. It's a word we okay. use all the time, but it does have a definition. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. it does. It really, it, it really blows your mind, and it's, it is. It's all, mm, I tell you. But um, as far as I was doing a little bit of uh, research, now, I think some people actually get it confused with the public with those of the Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers, right, John? Right, uh-huh. The, uh, those, I was both a Ranger and a Green Beret, and I was in the first group of special forces uh, created by John Kennedy, President Kennedy. He wanted okay. a force of highly trained specialists that he could dispatch from his bedside phone. And... Um, we, uh, we were the first people to wear berets, and there was a lot of magic around us at that time, a lot of PR. Uh, the Navy SEALs are the equivalent in the Navy. In fact, they get a lot of press. 
Uh, Marine recon is, is another version of it. People that get into these special operations, these kind of uh, behind-the-scenes operations, are just generally referred to now as special forces, and most of the developed world has special forces of some kind uh, in their military. Uh, I was in the group of the first 2,000 or so that, that qualified for that kind of training, and we were not nearly as well trained as the guys who are doing it now. Okay. Yeah, but when you read about the SEALs, that's the Navy's equivalent of the Army's Green Berets. Okay, I got you. Okay, I, I, I do understand that. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with John. We're going to listen to some more fascinating Army stories and talk more about his memoirs. So stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Imagine me, a dog, moving in with a human. I didn't know how it would work. Turns out, my human's pretty entertaining. For instance, every time I give my human his ball, he throws it as far as he can. And I'm like, dude, that's your ball. So I go get it. But he just throws it. Again. I gotta say, though, the more he does it, the funnier it is. I love my human. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. All right, we're back with John, author, actor, director, done it all. You, like I said, you name it, you call it, that's what he has done. Now, John, what advice would you give to upcoming writers or actors out there? Boy, um, I'd say uh, first thing to do is write from your own truth what you know about life. Don't try to write a subject you, you don't know anything about unless you have really researched it. And I don't think unless you really I, – I think unless you really care about what you're writing, that it won't be very good. Uh, pick a subject you like. Pick uh, a style that uh, you might like and, and write, write to the heart of that. It will be a much better piece when you're done. Why? They, they say that for beginning writers – uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically a prose writer, though I have uh, worked on a lot of screenplays for people. They, they say you should write what you know, and this is why a lot of people who a lot of people start off writing about themselves for that reason. They know that better than anything else, and that's one of the reasons there's so many memoirs around. And if that helps, uh, start with that. Exactly, because. I think the only advantage of doing these is because you can write the exact and accurate details of what actually happened in your life, but the only the only disadvantage is just putting it out there to the public because they don't know. You don't know how they're going to view your life, but now you're exploring this to them. So yeah, that's the only exactly. disadvantage I, I would say is writing a memoir. But well, if you're, honest, that, if, if you're honest with yourself and write your feelings, right. Uh, they will, they'll like it, even though you may not be talking about anything particularly important. It, it's an interesting truth that not everybody thinks, but everybody feels. And if you write about your feelings, people will get it. Hmm. Well, yeah. Especially when you can relate to what they actually been through and see these type of memoirs that you have. I think one can relate, especially since you've been in the Vietnam War. You've been an actor. You went through it all. You have seen it all. Um, well, now, what are John? Well, I would like to know what are some challenges? Really, what are the challenges in writing and acting for you? Well, 
with all those years I spent on the on the soap opera, I used to get to the studio every morning and and say to myself, "This is the day they figure out I can't really do this." I think I think to be really good at something, you have to be a little bit afraid of it all the time. You got to be a little afraid it's going to bite you, and push yourself through that. Uh, the same with the writing. I, I I write I write something happened and I think you know people aren't even going to believe this, but. I tried to write how I felt about these things that were going on because I wanted people to get that honest feelings that that I had when these these things that are hard to imagine were actually happening. And you know, for someone who's not been on a on a movie set or a soap opera set can't really imagine I'm what imagine. that's like. I mean, it's a lot of busy people running around, a lot of expensive equipment has to be taken care taken care with. Uh there are people off in little groups that are doing all they can to make this thing come off. It's not all about the actors. It's a very busy place, and then everything has to go dead quiet for the scenes. But if you can write about what that feels like to be a part of all of that, I think the writing will be much more compelling than if you just go in and, and do a kind of newspaper writer's report on what's going on. You, you have to internalize these experiences, make them real for yourself, and the writing will come out of that. Okay. Now, now, John, can you really explain, like, the difference? Because when I think of a memoir, I think of an autobiography. Is there really a difference between the two? No, not really. An autobiography okay. is, is a story about your, your, your life, actually, uh, most of your life. A memoir is... It's it's your memory of what happened at a, at a particular time and place. So a memoir is usually uh, not a full life story, but it is a vivid recollection of something that you've experienced. In my case, I wrote about a year to a year and four months, uh, four or five months out of my life. I wasn't in Vietnam a full year. I was only there about seven or eight months. When I got shot the third time, they let me come back a little early. And that's when these other things happen, the gold mine, the, the archaeological dig, and, and um, being in the monastery in Scotland. So I just thought, that's one period out of my life that I can remember well enough to really write how it felt to go through it all. So I refer to my books not as autobiographical, but as memoirs. And, and that's an interesting distinction. You've raised a good question. But basically, my feeling is that a memoir is usually over uh, covers a shorter period than an autobiography does. Right. And one thing and one thing I, I, I like about your memoirs, I mean, everybody is different. It it is. And you brought something mm-hmm. new to the table. And it's different it's different from someone else's lifestyle, you know, and I, like I said, I know somebody can relate to it automatically. These are great memoirs. If and John, can you tell the listeners where they can get your books from, where they can purchase it or find out more information about you as well. Oh, sure. Uh, I have a website which uh, people can go to, and it's, it's just my name, John Rixey Moore, R-I-X-E-Y, which is a town my family founded in Virginia in Culpeper County. Uh, my books are available on Amazon. You can get them either in, in paper or electronically, and Barnes & Noble carries them too. It, it, they don't carry them in every store. They have them in some of the stores around the country, but they have it in their archives, and you can get them to order it for you um, from their uh, their computer base. 
Now, how do you want the readers to really view these memoirs maybe 10 years from now? Oh, boy, another good question. I would like to think that the people who read these memoirs will, A, vote against any future war, and B, recognize that your life is enriched by experience. And some of the most interesting things that happen to us are things we didn't expect at all, or things that we did expect but not in the way they happened. And I think maybe the second book might do that for people. Uh, I met some of the most interesting guys I've ever met, both in the monastery and the gold mine. And they were all guys who had a past. Some of the monks had Royal Navy tattoos on their arms. Uh, they were just, these were guys who, for one reason or another, had chosen to drop out of life and do this other thing. And in the gold mine, uh, I, I was the rock drill operator. I made the holes, and my blaster, the guy that I worked with that put the explosives in the hole, was an ex-Nazi U-boat guy who had gotten captured during the war. And he knew a lot about sabotage a lot more than an ordinary seaman would have known. So these were all very interesting people, and because they had dropped out, no one would know any of these people had ever existed if it weren't for my book about them. So I, I kind of feel I've, I, I made an effort to bring these people to life. Otherwise, these interesting, worthwhile people, well, some of them were worthwhile, some of them were really terrible people, <laughs> especially some <laughs> of the guys in the mine, uh, but... If it, hadn't been, if it weren't for this book, the second book, Company of Stone, you would never know that these guys had ever existed. And they're out there, you know, mining your gold. The gold and the ring on your finger probably came from, from some of these guys. The, the monks were a different group altogether. They really worshipped knowledge. And some of them were very funny. The Vietnam book um, is a bit of a confession. Not only am I disclosing that this secret war existed, but I'm also admitting how frightening it was for me. I was just scared the whole time. This big, bad Green Beret is just scared to death all the time, and I had never read anything about the war that I felt was that honest. So I'm hoping people will take those things from these books. I do, too, and I hope that they, they sit back and they can reflect on this because that's what a memoir does. It it gets all this together, like you said, and makes you think about each character, the actual character in this book mm -hmm. and really transform you. You take you take a journey to change and transformation. I hope other people can realize this. This was a complicated life that you went through but it was enjoyable at the same time for you and and really understand that you're like I said, you're putting yourself out there on front row. This is well, not something oh, I just want to do. But one thing people have to realize, no matter what you do or how you write it, it's fascinating to read about. But please, if you need writing skills, there's nothing wrong with that because there's one thing you can, you can write. We don't mind reading about it, but make sure you have the writing skills as well. Cause a lot of well, people you, say, know, oh, I'm uh, you can develop your own writing skill as you go along. Right, you you write something that you experience and put it aside for a month and then get it out again. You'll find the places in it that aren't quite right about the way you felt or what you saw, what you smelled, what you heard. Right. Um, uh, you're making a very okay. good point. 
Right. I think yeah, I think everybody do. They need to get these memoirs. I think it's gonna it's gonna bring that light even of your own consciousness and like I say, your own reflections to maybe that simplicity of this happened, that happened. Yeah. So I I really do. I hope everyone who picks it up, I hope you truly enjoy it enjoyed this because this is something John, he truly enjoyed writing and sharing with us all the information that we need to learn about him and his whole lifestyle. So, John, do you have any more upcoming memoirs coming out for us to get? Uh, no, no, I don't. I'm thinking about writing oh. uh, writing the life story of a guy that I know who has had a fascinating career working at the, the secret air base in Nevada called Area 51. Uh, he's just retired and is talking, and I, uh, I I find that really interesting. I don't know if I'm qualified to write another man's story, but I need to talk to him about that. Uh, one other thing you were you were talking about writing, um, trying to get the try to be honest about it. I actually right. think that the that the act of writing, no matter how good or or ineffective your writing might be. The act of writing itself is good for you. It's good for your brain because right. it is. You're, it, it's a process of constantly translating symbols into concepts and back again, and that exercises both hemispheres of the brain. So just as an exercise, writing is good for you. It, it is. And, and even like you were just mentioning, John, even if, even if you are inexperienced in writing, just put your thoughts out there because um, one of my guests told me she always – how to improve on her right. She go to workshops, so it's always somebody out there. Just get the ideas on paper first. Write it down. Don't let it go. If you have it in your dream, immediately put it down automatically. Yeah. Don't don't just let it flow in the way because it don't sound right to you. So exactly. just put don't, it down. Don't, don't be afraid of it if it isn't right. Remember, anything really worth doing is worth doing poorly. Just Just get out right. there and do it. Well, John, it's, it really has. It's been a pleasure just having you on the show, giving us this rich folder of all your memories, um, your hard experiences in the Vietnam War, everything. You know, I really, I felt like it was my own story, my own biography, and I, <laughs> I hope you do. I hope, I hope they extremely get this and feel fortunate enough to know that John's life is in your hands. <laughs> yeah, that's I, his book is in your hands, so it feels, you know, his life is in that book. So I do. I hope people really go out and get these books and honor them and treasure them. But, John, it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and sharing this with us so well, much. thank you, Technicia. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. You too, John. I hope we stay in touch, too. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, it's been a pleasure joining me. I feel so much better today. I thank you for your concern about my well-being. My stomach was really troubling me, but I'm way better. But don't forget that we have this fascinating World Cup coming up. And even if you're not a soccer player, it's just so exciting to just go online and see how everybody is talking about this event. It's Because every four years now, the Brazilians, they come together to show their love for soccer by painting their streets. This year, they're sharing with the world, and you could create photo spheres of where you're celebrating the World Cup with the new Google Camera app for Android. So check that out. Google it. It's, it's all over. I mean, the pictures are gorgeous, how they paint the streets and everything. I'm, I'm watching it right now. It's awesome. 
in Rio de Janeiro. So really, if you're not a sports fan or a soccer fan, this will actually get you in tune. But I will see you tomorrow at noon, and God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Hit me up on my Facebook fan page. And please, if you could donate anything to me keeping this Facebook fan page alive, it, I really will appreciate it. It's so hard to try to pay out for something that you think that you're doing good, but you got to pay for it to explore it. But anyhow, just hit me up. You know I'm on Twitter at Day 60 If you want to become friends with me on Facebook, you can do so at Technisha Day, T-E-K-N-E-S-H-I-A-D-A-Y. So hit me up. I'm here. I'm listening. You can also hit me on my gmail.com at technishaday at gmail.com. I'm always listening. I'm taking comments. So please don't be afraid to do that. Um, but anyhow, I will see you tomorrow. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the sun wherever you are. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.